It is good to be in the house of the Lord with you all this morning. I am thoroughly excited, overjoyed, and blessed. And it is wonderful just to be able to be with you. As Pastor George and Pastor Aaron already said, my name is Pastor Chipo Johnson, and I am the pastor of students at Damascus International Fellowship. And I have been given the task of preaching our first sermon for our four-part sermon series on standing firm, striving together through the faith or in faith, for the faith. Figure it out. <laughs> I'm just too excited. When I'm excited, I get giddy. So let me center myself a little bit. All right. For those of you who don't know what Kindred is, so I'm talking to some of you who are here in this room, and I'm also talking to some people online. Um, and as I said to the group at 8.30, this does not count as my 30 minutes. So if you are someone who likes to keep time, don't, because I haven't started my 30 yet. All right. All right. So Kindred is about being the multi-ethnic family of God. It is a partnership between Damascus International Fellowship, Evangelical Chinese Church, and University Presbyterian Church. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit, God has put it on the hearts of different pastors in Seattle. He moved on their hearts at different times and brought them together in the fullness of time. And he instructed them that they need to become brothers and friends so that they can model before you what it looks like to be brothers and friends, sisters, brothers, sisters. You know what I'm talking about. When I say brothers, I'm using the brethren term in the King James. So ladies, I'm not leaving you out. Okay, focus. And so because of this partnership, that is why we, every year, set aside a specific time. Because if you know anything about family, when you're busy, you got to put stuff on the calendar, right? So we put stuff on the calendar where we say, this is going to be our family reunion, basically, is what we're saying. And when we get together, we're going to be intentional about our togetherness. And so what we do is we have pulpit exchange, we have worship ministry exchange, um, we do service projects together sometime throughout the year, we pray together. That is the most important thing. Praying together is how we started, and it is the bedrock of everything that we do. And so I say all of this so that you understand what I'm talking about, you understand why I'm the one who's standing here and it's not somebody else. But I also say it so that you can get excited every time you hear me say, good morning, good morning, good morning, kindred family, right? After worship service, because of your excitement, because that is how much I trust and believe the Holy Spirit, I believe that you will be excited about kindred if you were not excited before. And I believe that if you have been excited before, that your excitement will be rejuvenated and renewed, and that you will run outside those doors. And when you run outside those doors, you will be looking for the sign-up place so that you can sign up for a small group. Right? They say that when you give people an invitation, you give it to 100% of the people and you expect 70% to come, we're expecting 95% of y'all to sign up today. And if you forget to sign up today, go on the website, thekindredcommunity.org, and you can sign yourself up. This is another challenge I give you. Sign up somebody that you think might want to come. 
And then when they ask, why is my name on the list? You say, because you are a partner with me and I know that you respond to the power of prayer and I've been praying for an opportunity to study together with you. Just do it. People love invitations and they love to feel special. And that's how you make them special is by saying, I was thinking about you. All right. I'm trying to decide if my 30 minutes has started yet or not. Okay, I'll be nice. We'll get it started in a second. All right. If you're able, I invite you to stand with me. And I will be reading from Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. And then I will read Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And I'm reading from the Common English Bible. And it reads as follows. Most important, live together in a manner worthy of Christ's gospel. Do this whether I come and see you or I'm absent and hear about you. Do this so that you stand firm, united in one spirit and mind, as you struggle together to remain faithful to the gospel. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any sharing in the spirit, any sympathy, complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united, and agreeing with each other. Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ. The word of the Lord is already blessed. You may be seated. Most gracious and heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this time of worship, for this time when we can be together as a kindred family to hear what the Holy Spirit has released for us. We ask, Father, that as we hear and receive your word, that our love for you would be rekindled, that our love for one another would be increased, that our joy would be elevated. We ask, Holy Father, that you would change and transform our hearts, our minds, and our spirits, that we would be a people that when we go out into the world, they would know that we have been touched by your presence, that we have encountered the one true God. I ask, Holy Father, that you would Speak to me as I preach to your people, that you would minister to our hearts in those places of hurt and brokenness, that you would bring healing and comfort, and that you would convict us in our places of comfort, that you would challenge us to do things your way and not our way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a program, your program says that my sermon title is Kindred, Rethinking the Usness of Oneness. And Miss Michelle asked me to clarify what usness means. Usness is a term that you can find on page 69 in the Pastor Chipo Johnson Dictionary. All right. All right. Usness is a term that refers to all of us being the ness that you find in the oneness. (laughs) 
That didn't make any sense, but you'll get it in a minute, all right? <laughs> all right. So, question for you to hold on to as I'm talking, because this might help you understand what I'm saying when I say rethinking the usness of oneness. The question is, what do you do to handle conflict when you are part of a group? So we see that as Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, that he speaks to the whole church, and he asks them to gather together to help two ladies, one called Judea and Syntyche. Judea and Syntyche are having issues with one another. We don't really know exactly what the issues are, but if you look at your neighbor and you're having issues with your neighbor, just wink at them and be like, I can kind of figure it out. All right. So with the people in Philippi, they are a group of people who value citizenship. And as we prepare to celebrate Memorial Day, we understand the value of citizenship. We understand that those that we are honoring died in order to protect the citizenship that we have if we are citizens of the United States of America. Citizenship brings with it privilege. It brings access to resources. It brings the ability to be able to do things that other people can't do in terms of voting. Uh, when you go to certain countries because you hold a United States passport, you don't have to get a visa, which if you have ever had to go through the visa process, you know not having to have a visa is a privilege. It's a blessing. It's just something that you get. You didn't have to do anything for it. All you had to do is be a U.S. citizen. So for the people of Philippi, the reason why citizenship is important to them is because they are what are called Roman citizens. They live in a small town that was taken over by Rome as a Roman colony. And now because of the privilege and prestige that has been bestowed upon them, those who lived there who were not born in Rome and not born as Roman citizens have now been decreed and declared to be Roman citizens, which means they have the same privileges as those who were born as Roman citizens. It's a wonderful thing. It means they have access, they have privilege. And so that town becomes so popular and so thriving that you end up having military who have retired moving into that town so that they can be able to enjoy their privileges and relax and just enjoy life. And what you end up having is you have a group of people who know and value not just privilege, but status, right? We all like status. Uh, we do things to get it. If you don't compete for status socially, maybe you compete for it within your family, right? As the firstborn in my family, I claim my status as the firstborn, and I remind my siblings that I am the firstborn, and they call me number one, right? <laughs> they have no choice, and every now and again, my husband has to do it too, I'm just saying. But we like status, we like privilege, and so you have a group of people who are enjoying this status, but the problem comes when, if your status was set because you were born into it, and then you have a group of people who were beneath you yesterday, and then you wake up in the morning and now they're on the same level as you because someone just randomly gave them status, it causes a problem because now your status is not as special as you thought it was. Even though it really technically is still special, in your mind, it's not special anymore because now everybody has it. And so you try to do something to elevate yourself, and so you start to compete with one another to see whose status is better for whatever reason it is, right? 
The sad thing is we sometimes do that in the church, right? Now, I'm not saying that you guys do it here, but I'll just use you as an example, right? So what happens is those who have been at UPC since they were two months old think that they're better than those who've only been at UPC for two months. Just, just an example, you know, not saying that that's what happens. But there's a competition that goes on. If you're familiar with uh, the, what is it, the Beverly Hillbillies, you understand it in the context of old money versus new money, right? If you don't have money, you don't get it. But if you have money, you know what I'm talking about, right? Old money thinks that it's better because they worked hard and long for their money for years upon years. New money in the hillbilly situation, they just stumbled upon it. They found oil. They didn't work to find it. They found it. They got rich, right? And so the old money starts to harass the new money, which causes a problem. And that is what's going on in the city of Philippi. You've got those who are old Roman citizens who were born into Roman citizenship, challenging and competing against the new Roman citizens, right? Trickles into the church. We see it all the time. How do I know? Because Paul had to write a bunch of letters to the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians for the very same reason, right? The Jewish Christians thought that they knew how to love God better than the new Christians, and they felt that the new Christians needed to love God the way that they said that God needed to be loved. And that is really one of the problems about the oneness that we're supposed to have. God is the one who gathers us and calls us one, right? And he says, you are one body, you are one family, you are one people, you are one group, right? But we want to have this division because instead of using God's standard as the measure for what we should live into, we want it to be our standard. And so it comes from this idea which we recognize a lot in Western culture called individualism, right? Individualism on face value is not a bad thing. It is how America became America, right? Because we celebrate the individuality of each person. We celebrate the uniqueness of each person. We celebrate what each person can bring to the table. And we honor you because of that. We honor your greatness, we honor your specialness. The problem ends up being that now you have a team called the Lakers, but we don't know it as the Lakers, we know it as LeBron James's team, right? You, know, you don't know um, anything about the other players, all you hear them talking about is King James. Things like that is where this individualism becomes a problem. Because now, first of all, the one who has been elevated above everybody else has to work super hard to maintain that status. But then it also means that nobody values what everybody else is bringing to the table. I don't play basketball, but I can tell you this one thing, there is no way that LeBron can win a, a tournament or whatever you call it, to show you I don't watch basketball. He can't do it by himself. He needs the other players, right? And God is trying to help us to understand that even though I have created each and every one of you to be unique as an individual, I want you to rethink what it means when I call you one. When I call you one, I am calling you one in the same context that I am one. If you go back into Genesis, God says, let us. God says, let us right? God is a relational God. 
And he invites us to be relational people in the same way that he is relational. And so that oneness is us connected together, being like God, the way that he has called us to be like his son, Jesus Christ, right? So the people of Philippi are a people of prayer. And what Paul does is he takes them in chapter one and he reminds them of their identity. If you look before verse 27, you'll notice that he keeps on talking about prayer. He says, I have been praying for you. I pray for you every time I think about you. I pray for you every time I give thanks. I'm praying that you would grow and increase in the knowledge of your love. I'm praying that you would become a group of people who understand how to identify what is the most important thing, right? And if you were paying attention to Kathy when she was giving the testimony, right? Maybe she didn't say it this time. Maybe she only said it at 8.30, which means you got to go back online and watch the 8.30 service, right? One of the things that she talked about is how the Muslim people understand that when they receive visions, that God is the one who is speaking. And it is their recognition that God is the one who is speaking that causes them to shift where they were before, where they thought of Jesus only as a good man or a prophet, and they shift to the space where they recognize that he is the king of kings, he is the Lord of lords, he is the most high, he is the holy one, he is the one that God has elevated so that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord, right? There's a rethinking shift that happens when you're in the presence of the Holy Spirit. When you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, you cannot remain the same. But I know you already know that because Pastor George and his crew have been preaching about the Holy Spirit for the last several weeks, right? So we know this, right? I'm just here to remind you, right? And so as the Holy Spirit speaks to Paul, the Holy Spirit is already working on the Philippian people. And Paul receives a vision where he says, he sees a man that says, come and help us in Macedonia. Paul gets to Macedonia, and when he's looking for a place to pray, he encounters a group of women by a, by a river, and he talks to them, and he shares the gospel with them. And immediately when they receive the gospel, they invite him to their house, and they say, we need to be baptized because we need to be part of what it is that you're presenting to us. Let me backtrack a little bit. I started by telling you that the people of Philippi are people who value citizenship, right? Citizenship is a political term. As Christians, we don't like to talk about politics. We either don't want to talk about it because we were told do not talk about it as Christians, right? So at Thanksgiving, you don't talk about politics, you don't talk about sex, you don't talk about money. So I don't know what you talk about, but that's <laughs> what it is, right? The other side of it, those of us who are saying, no, we recognize we need to talk about it, then we shift to this far extreme where we start to equate American politics and the standards of American politicians with Christianity. So then you end up having a situation of the Crips and the Bloods. Wait a minute. My bad. Crips wear blue, Bloods wear red. Yeah, you get where I'm going with this, right? That's what you end up having in the church. We're not meant to be gangbangers, right? Insulting and assaulting one another because of each other's views and each other's standards. 
Because the reality of it, when you read scripture, is you realize that both of you are wrong, right? The reason why both of you are wrong is because one side has said that God elevates righteousness above justice, and the other side has said, no, God elevates justice above righteousness. But if you read in scripture, you find that God never separates the two. The two are always connected together. Therefore, that means as Christians, I don't even know if I should say it, but I'm going to say it since I started to say it, and I don't like it when people start saying things and then say I shouldn't tell you, so I'm just going to tell you. As Christians, we should not be partisan people. So if you are somebody who has been stabbing your brother or your sister in the back because they are red or because they are blue, shame on you. That's not me saying that. That's in the text, right? It says here in Deuteronomy 32, 4, this is Moses. He's writing a poem that he decrees and he declares over the people right before he is taken into glory. He says, the rock, meaning God, his work is perfect. All his ways are entirely just. A faithful God without prejudice. He is righteous and he is true. When you see the word uh, righteousness, a simple way of defining it is to do what is right. God is the one who stands, sets the standard of what is right, and he says, be righteous as I am righteous, meaning just do what is right, the same way that I do it. Justice, a simple way of defining it, means to make things right. Why? Because God knows that we mess up. So where you have seen somewhere where you made a mess or somebody else made a mess, he says, fix it, make it right. I am just, I am righteous, be like I am, be righteous, be just. Maybe you don't think that I'm saying it right. So let's go to Micah chapter 6, verse 8. In Micah 6, he says, He has told you, O mortal, O human one, people, he has told you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly with our God? Now, some of you might be saying, ah, Pastor Chipo, you said uh, the justice part, but you didn't say the righteousness part. Okay. Well, let's go to Bible college. Okay. So, in English, we take words and we slap them in places and we try to make people understand what that means without really taking into consideration what the original language was talking about, right? And so because I told you that you can never separate justice from righteousness, I don't even have to say the word righteousness when I'm talking to an Old Testament Christian or person of God because they know that it is implied simply because I added the word, the kindness. But even that word kindness is not a correct translation, right? Because when we think of kindness, we think of, I don't know, giving you a Starbucks card or something like that, right? Or letting you go first at a four-way stop when all of us are there together and we don't know who should be going first or opening the door for you. That's what we think of when we think of kindness. But God is using a word called hesed, which cannot be translated with one English word. Hesed is a term that describes God's character, God's way of being that he invites us into 
right? And he says that, and this again, still not an accurate translation, but will make it work for now. Has said is promise keeping loyalty that is motivated by deep personal care. And so when we engage in hesed together, what we are doing is we are seeking God's righteousness because of the love that we have for him and the love that he has for us. To be hesed, one is abiding in God's righteousness. One is abiding in God's standard of what is right. But also to be hesed means that you recognize when God's rightness has not been done, and so that is why you do justice. So hesed is this outpouring of us doing and living the way God has instructed us to do. And this is exactly what Paul invites the Philippians to do. He says to them, because they value citizenship, and it's easy to help people understand something when you explain it to them in terms that they understand, right? So because you understand citizenship, he says to them, I want you to make it the most important thing that you do to live together in a manner worthy of Christ's gospel, right? That phrase, live together, in a manner worthy is really attached to the citizenship. So I told you that citizenship is a political term, right? And so what he is saying is because of the government that rules over Philippi, you have now been given privilege. But now because of this privilege that you have that is a political privilege, you are walking around in status rivalry, fighting against each other within the church, right? Judea and Syntyche are examples of it right? Old money and new money. Udia means uh, success. You worked for it. You did it, right? Good journey towards something, right? Syntyche means accident or happenstance, right? New money, right? That's where I got the idea that that's what's going on, right? So you've got old money, new money, old status, new status, fighting against each other. And Paul says, I'm not asking you to deny the privilege that you have, I'm asking you to rethink what kind of privilege you have. And so he says in verse 29, God has generously granted you the privilege not only of believing in Christ, but also of suffering for Christ's sake. What you say now? When they thought about privilege, they thought about privilege in the context of I'm better than you, so you need to serve me. But Paul does this amazing thing whenever he talks to people. Whenever he's about to scold them, he starts by calling them who they are, even though they don't fully understand who they are. So he introduces this letter by saying, greetings to you from me and Timothy, the slaves, the bond servants of God. Greetings to you, saints of God. Saints to us, the way that we have been taught only means holy ones, right? The righteous ones, the goody two-shoes, the ones who do things right all the, all the time, have their hair tight, their nails did, their shoes polished, the ones who say hallelujah, right? <laughs> Greetings, saints, you know? That's what we think of when we hear the term saints. Again, English, messy language, makes us see things the wrong way, right? And in case you're wondering, why am I knocking English so much? Because I have the right and the privilege to. It's the only language that I speak, right? <laughs> so I'm talking about myself, right? So 
correct understanding of the word saint. Saint is a combination of two words that come together that mean family and group, right? That is what Paul is calling them. He is saying you are people who are a family, who are in one group. Remember that. And then he says, and remember how you became that one group of people. Remember, I told you it started with prayer. Even before they knew who Jesus was, the Holy Spirit was already working on them. That is how Paul was able to find those women by the river, right? So as Paul is going to pray, he meets the women. Again, as Paul is going to pray, he encounters a woman who is busy yelling and screaming good things on the surface, but the reality is she's being driven by a false spirit. And so Paul rebukes that spirit. Why? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit that is on him. Because when you pray, the Holy Spirit can work through you. So the Holy Spirit gives Paul discernment to recognize, even though this sounds good, even though it's promoting me and letting everybody know how great I am in the kingdom of God, there is something that's not right about this. God is not the one getting glory when this woman speaks. So he rebukes the spirit, the spirit comes out, the woman is liberated. Again, this is God doing work because that is what God does. God is the one who liberates. He sets a woman free and because he did what God said, he gets arrested. But because Paul understands his assignment, while he and Silas are in prison, what are they doing again? They are praying again. They never stop. How many of us stop praying when trouble happens? I just threw that one out for free. Don't. Keep on praying because you don't know what's going to happen. And so as they're praying, the jail cell starts to shake. The cell busts open, right? And a man who is about to commit suicide because he thinks he just messed up and let the prisoners go free while he took a nap, Paul says, uh-uh, we're still here. Every single one of us, nobody ran away. I'm not gonna lie. If I was one of the prisoners and those cells open, I probably would have just tipped out. Paul would have had to say, chipo, chipo, wait. There is more glory if you stay, right? Again, sidetrack, focus, all right? <laughs> I'm telling you this because I want you to see that the Philippian church is a church that was built on prayer, right? That is their identity. And it is because of prayer that they were now given the blessing of encountering Paul who gave them this testimony of Jesus Christ, the gospel. So when he says to them, let your citizenship be worthy of the gospel of Christ, it is because he is now speaking again another political term, euangelion. How is euangelion a political term when we've been told that all these years all it means is good news? Because the euangelion is good news that is spoken to announce the presence of a king. It is not good news to say Krispy Kreme has 50% off on Memorial Day. That is not the good news. It is announcing that there is a new ruler who is in town. There is a new ruler who is coming to take over because there was an old ruler who was keeping you oppressed and keeping you in tyranny. That is why it is good news. Because now hope has come. Reconciliation has come. Restoration has come. 
where you were in pain mentally, physically, and spiritually, all of that has been done away with because this new ruler has been ushered in. And the reason why it is called the gospel of Christ is because when Christ announces it, he is announcing that it is the kingdom of God that has come into your presence. The kingdom of God is being ushered into your presence. Repent and change your ways. Turn your heart around because whatever you are holding on to, whatever you are attached to, it's meaningless now in the presence of Jesus. Jesus, the one who has touched blind eyes, who has opened deaf ears, who has caused the lame to walk, who has even caused the dead to rise. Lazarus, we know him. He is risen from the dead. But on top of that, now this Jesus, the one who was promised back in the Old Testament, has died and he has risen. And Paul says that he came in human form to humble himself. He had status. He had privilege. He had it all. He didn't have to give it up for us, but he did because he is the ultimate servant. And now Paul says, and now I am servant to that servant. And if you are in partnership with me, I am inviting you to be servant to that servant. And in case you don't know how to do it, pay attention to what I've been telling you. Righteousness and justice cannot be separated. So even in his introduction, when he says grace and peace to you through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, like I said, you can't translate has, has said in one word. It includes that grace. It includes the peace. It includes righteousness. It includes justice. It includes grace. It includes love. All of these things are the reason why God did what he did. God ushered in the kingdom of heaven, not so that we could go around conquering worlds in the name of Jesus Christ, which is what we did during the crusades. That's not what we were supposed to do. We were supposed to go conquering death, conquering sin, conquering hopelessness, because we were supposed to usher in the hesed of God. God says, I am the one who is full of compassion. I am the one who is full of graciousness, full of forgiveness. All of these things that I am, that is what you're supposed to be. And how do I know? Because Paul says it in chapter two. When he talks about, let me go back to chapter one. First of all, when he talks about one spirit and one mind, one spirit is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that brought you together as a people of God in Philippi, right? That is the spirit that you need to be united in because that is the spirit that you are united by. And when I say one mind in chapter one, what he is talking about is really life and breath. Again, wrong translation. We say mind because as human beings, we like to qualify, quantify stuff. We rationalize everything and make it make sense. And then we wonder why our, our, our Christianity is so weak, lukewarm, why it doesn't do anything. Because we've taken the power out of what God was saying. The breath of God is the one that gave Adam life. It is that breath, that one breath, that he is saying that you should have. And in case you're confused, go back to Ezekiel. God tells Ezekiel to speak over the dry bones, and it is the breath of God that fills those dry bones and gathers them together as what? As a people set apart in service to God. 
saints. That breath, one breath, one spirit. That is what we're supposed to have. Life that comes from him and through him, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Letting us know that change has come. Things are different because of what Christ has done. And then we move now into chapter 2. And now when he says, with the same mind, now he's talking about thought. But it's still not your thought. Because going back to what I said before, status rivalry means that I say, I want to be in partnership with Miss Michelle. And I want us to be in unity. But she got to do things my way. Right? That's how we think of oneness. Because we recognize it's weird. You can't have two leaders. Somebody has to submit, right? And somebody has to have an idea in order for us to move forward. What Paul is saying when he says the one thought, he's not talking about your one thought. He's saying the same one thought that Jesus had. The one thought that Jesus had that made him submit, that made him humble. That is the one thought. When he says the same love, he's talking about the same said that God had for you. That is what we are supposed to give to one another. I'm gonna leave you with this, just to give you a picture of what I'm talking about. If you watch Star Trek, you know that there's a group of uh, individuals called the Borg. Um, And so for those of you who don't watch Star Trek, the Borg are a group of, it's hard to describe them. They're, they're organic beings, but they've also got you know, technical parts all attached to them. And what they do is they grab hold of other, not nations, but uh, populations of people, and they draw them in. And so on the surface, when I just explain it, if you've never watched Star Trek, that sounds like a good thing, right? This is how they introduce themselves. We are the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. The Borg understand oneness as what they call the hive mind or the Borg mind. So every single one thinks the same thing and does the same thing. There is no individuality. There is no uniqueness. But what they do in the process is they kill and they destroy. They destroy everything that was beautiful about your culture, everything that was beautiful and unique about you as an individual or as a people, right? That's me telling me to stop talking, right? So I'm about to stop. (laughs) But what, what the flip side of the Borg is, is you have Starfleet. Starfleet is a group of people who, if you look at uh, Star Trek Voyager, Majority of them are human, but then they also have Vulcans, they have Talaxians, and as you go deeper into the Star Trek world, you start to see other people from other planets and other places. And they all wear similar uniform, right? To show that they belong to Starfleet, but they never ask anyone to change their culture or their ways. They say that we are united under our one purpose and our one belief, which is to go into new worlds, right? And to spread the word that the Federation is here in peace, 
so that we can get to know one another and become friends and partners and partner with one another, right? I use that as an example to help you understand how oneness can be destructive if it's based on individualism versus oneness that is based on usness, right? Starfleet is a shady, shaky example of usness. Here is the better example, and then I'll take my seat. We are kindred. We are people set aside for the purpose of God, for the service of God, in the kingdom of God. Repent, change your hearts and your minds. Believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will add your gifts and treasures with welcome arms into the kingdom of God. We will celebrate your culture and your ethnicity as it reflects the glory of God. We will be a people of one spirit, the spirit of God, a people of one breath, the breath of God, breathing over the dry bones in the valley to create a new group of people set aside for the service of God. We are kindred family. Will you join us?